The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, a few weeks ago, a good friend of mine, uh, Professor Clifford Saunders, who known as the brain reprogramming doctor, he, he told me about a uh, very interesting guy that he'd, he'd spoken to, Mike Austin. Uh, Mike Austin's a host, producer, and founder of uh, Casual Saints, uh, project of Casual Saints LLC, stream podcasting, Variety Talk magazine on network 2.2M monthly, uh, sorry, 2.2 million monthly listeners in 137 countries, broadcast on 75 syndicated channels, including TuneIn. Um, yeah, I listened in and I thought, well, you know, we've got to have him, we've got to have him on the show, Joe Postman, and I wanted to bring him on because I know it's going to be a, a kind of a free and easy kind of riff. It's going to be something that I do, I do it every two weeks with Jeremy Nell, the Jeremy Nell show, and it's very authentic. Um, Mike Austin, you you are a guy who's I think a bit of a Renaissance man. You you've got your finger in every pie. You're you're an artist. You're, you're technical. You're religious. You, you know what are you not? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's such a delight to have you on. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we that we have no agenda. We've got a few questions to put to you. I think the first question I, I want to put to you is uh, how the hell did you get into radio work? <laughs> <laughs> So since you're a science show, uh, I'll give you the facts as closely as possible that won't uh, send your listeners and viewers off the edge, okay? But the short version is that I, many years ago, had a friend invite me to do a show. And that happened after I started a salon of, a private salon of psychics and intuitives. There it is. Cat's out of the bag. And the friend in the show already had the network. She goes, you, you should do radio. Said, yeah. No, no. I've coached people already, but I don't want to do radio. So I later changed my mind about that. And she's still a friend and very good friend. And that was what happened. It's like, okay. And she was in yeah. that group. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I've become very, well, I would say very, I've become more spiritual over the last five years. I was quite um, dogmatic and there was no such thing as god and uh you know and working in science science writing um i was, was quite surprised to learn that how many scientists were quite religious they really do believe in a, in a higher power it was the opposite of what most people think you talk to most people and you'd say well they're the atheists they're mainly scientific technology people but uh no <laughs> albert einstein was very keen on the idea that there's a higher power um, Isaac Newton, you know, you, you can go through uh, the, the great and the good of scientific endeavor and time after time, they'll tell you, you there is something above and beyond, something we don't can't get ahead around. And we have to admit that we will never know that it's it, it's um, to do with a, um, a belief, a trust, a, a, a beyond intellect, beyond kind of rationality. It's more to do with a feeling. Um, hard to kind of pin it down, Mike. What, how would you characterize it? <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> Six years? <laughs> no, we'll give you um, <laughs> it comes down to individual experience and what your perceptions are and what you're willing to accept and believe. It's that simple. Yeah. Okay. And yes, it's true. Many, many famous people were very spiritual. 
I tend to steer around the word religious because it carries lots of baggage, but people still use it, okay? And I've met and sat with some very unusual, very accomplished people in their own fields, including scientists, including uh, leaders of religions. And it all comes down to one thing. What do you accept and what do you believe from your own experience? And it, it sounds stupidly simple, but it's, it's no more difficult than that. So who are you willing to listen to, where you get your facts from? And facts tend to come internally. Wait, what's your experience? You know, everything I've done is all about, I had this experience that made me incurious. Wait, what, why did that happen that way? What's going on with that? Why should I accept that? Should I accept mm -hmm. it? All those things occur to me. So when I was a kid, meaning my 20s, I first thought I was going to be a scientist. And I joke about it, say I was going to be a scientist, right? Because I was attracted to biology and, and physics and natural history and things like that. And I thought I was going to become a guy who would do environmental impact statements. And I thought, no, that's a bad idea because I have a big mouth. And my boss is going to say, you will not write that in the report. And I would say, fuck you. So, you know, I, I didn't go down that road. But I said, what really moves people? What makes them work? It's their values. I had a whole mm -hmm. change of heart. Yeah, yeah. And that change of heart led me down the path of, in, in the context I had was religious studies. Well, it was really spirituality. Okay. And I got a very soft degree in that from a state institution. I lucked onto a lot of people. Luck, I don't really believe in luck, but I lucked onto a lot of people who were very important in my experiences. Famous scholars, famous experiencers, all kinds of people. One of the guys that was, um, he did a sabbatical at my university long before I got there, Paul Tillich. He was there. One of my professors knew him. Okay, people like that. So I love unusual experiences because they tell me the nature of reality. That's why I do that. That's the short answer to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So on that question of John, <clears throat> sorry, uh, on God, John, that's a good one. So I'll tell you what the problem is here. You have a, a personality type problem, effectively. So for intuitives and, you know, people related to intuitive types, um, it's generally a feeling or a perception. You know, you see coincidences and synchronicities, they're called, that are so inexplicable. You think, well, that's got to be a force of some higher mind creating impossible synchronicities in life. Um, you know, of course, some people have had out-of-body experiences. And, you know, there's a lot of research and literature out there about out of out of but that's near near death experiences that is mm -hmm. of course uh, science generally doesn't touch that because they want to write everything off uh, that has to do with the mind and just say well it's just an accident dreaming's just an accident it's not really important these are just you know neurons firing as they die um, so the problem with on the god question in science is that science is composed mainly of the is the intuitive uh, or sorry the introverted sensing uh, thinking and judging types. So they're sensing types rather than intuitive types. Intuitive types can have an inner, a sort of inner knowing which gives them a sort of connection to the mystical and they can accept ideas and concepts of God. The sensing type is your engineer and they need to see it, right? Mm -hmm. So whereas most people and religious people who go to church and intuitive types, they'll say, you know, I see it in my life. You know, I can see the action of impossible things in my life, which I can only ascribe to church and intuitive types. They'll say, you know, I see it in my life. You know, I can see the action of impossible things in my life, which I can only ascribe to some form of a higher mind, right? But for the sensing type, the scientist, you know, the mainstream materialist scientist engineering type, they want to see it in physics. They want to see it in physics. They don't care about their own life for some reason so much, you know. They dismiss everything in their own life as just coincidence or whatever. They don't care, right? They want to see it in physics. So the question is, 
why don't you see active participation from God in physics then, right? Because in physics, we have things like the, the laws of, you know, the laws of physics, for example, Newton's law and, you know, uh, the, the Coulomb's law for electricity. These are just like static equations. They're equations, but they don't indicate mind. They're just these fixed structures. What would you expect if you wanted to see God? You would need to see changes. You need to see autonomous changes happening in physics, in reality, in equations. that you could only say, look, that has to be the mind of God or the actions of God or some spiritual force to cause a change in the equations like that. And, you know, up to now, we really have not seen that sort of thing. Although I will point out that it's a very tough question to crack because, of course, you need to understand how reality is constructed in the first place. And we don't really have that in science because, you know, the Big Bang itself, the existence itself is a bit of a mystery, right? And so, of course, then scientists come in and just say, well, it's all just random infinite probabilities and anything could possibly exist. And we just live in the existence where we are possible. You know, it's kind of a non-answer, really. Um, in my first book, however, I did sort of, <clears throat> not sort of, I, I did <clears throat> detect what I think is an example of seeing God in, or say, I don't like using the term God, I'll just say the mind, the mind of, of the universe, the mind of reality, whatever it is running this place, um, operating via the laws of physics, but you need to know where to look, because yeah, you're not going to see a change in Newton's laws or something like that. You need to be able to look where that mind would interface. But in any case, Michael, what's your position on the presence of God in the universe? Or, you know, if we use that term God, you know, loosely, you know, if you only say, you know, the grand mind of existence or the spiritual mind of existence, what's your position on, on this big question then? <laughs> like I said, six years, man. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> I like all that. Okay. And it's something that, it ends up being very personal. And let me start with this. An acquaintance of mine who once upon a time was a president of the American Statistical Association. Okay, I've talked to her twice. She's very smart. She's retired now. Was standing in front of an audience of six or 7,000 people from their, their annual convention or biannual convention, whatever it is. It's just us. Now, I talked to her twice in 2007, 2011. And in one of her books, in one of a friend's of mine's books, she is quoted as saying, look, the evidence is all in about science. Like, it's there. The science is there. Why did you guys want to accept it? And the answer was, it came down to personal experience. They hadn't had their own personal experience of weirdness or of anomalies. They weren't willing to trust it. Okay? And, and it's, it's a lot simpler than that sounds. I was talking to my sweetheart this morning. She goes, people aren't born scientists. They aren't born road racers. They aren't born journalists. They're born kids. We're taught all this stuff. And it's Western scientific reductionism that can tend to derail us, okay? So, so many examples come to mind about this. Russell Targ, a personal friend, he'll describe himself as a psychic spy who found God. Who says that, okay? By a mutual friend of ours, the guy, the guy used to be a, what was it, logical positivist, a follower of Ayn Rand. Wait, that's pretty constrained. So, you have to allow that science can't explain everything. You have to allow that first. Mm -hmm. If you go there, well, then you got something to talk about. Does that make sense? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. With, with, with me, I had to have experience. And I went, wait, why did that happen? What happened there? 
Who can explain that? In fact, that's a question I asked Jessica the first time. I said, Jessica, it's 2007 convention. Why is it that I didn't want to, you know, put her on the spot in front of the podium, but I did after the talk, I said, why is it that we do what we do? He goes, we don't know. But go look at this book, Flatland by Edwin Abbott. I went, okay. So it was a partial answer for me. Now, Flatland is said to be a satire in Victorian society. It's kind of strange. But when I read the book, I went, well, okay, the guy's describing a universe which is two-dimensional. It's flat. How do you perceive things beyond that? Well, you fly below the plane, above the plane, you fly all around it. You can fly. You, you can do that. It's about your perceptions. So when you have that kind of mindset, it makes things a whole lot easier. And the scientists that I've on occasion worked with and, and know include people that are known for their exploits in unusual things. Russell, Dean Radin, a whole bunch of other people. And those people tend to be very scientifically minded. But at the same time, they've all had experiences that show them, well, that's not the way it seems. In fact, I talked with Cliff about this one time. The very first time I talked to him, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I said what I said we're talking about now. He goes, well, just because the mechanism can't be explained doesn't mean it didn't happen. Simple. So when I have events that I foresee somehow, I'm not the only one that does that. I'll give you an example that Russell has in the context of my my life. Russell says, and he said this beginning in 2011 when I first saw him talk about it on stage. He says, so look, when you walk out to the curb in the morning and pick up the newspaper and you see an orange Volkswagen bug at the curb, your dream of that, your dream before that event is said to be informed by that event, meaning causation happens somewhat backwards. And I went, wait, what's he talking about? And you have to get beyond the linear physics of this, okay? Mm. So just recently, a very close friend of mine started meditating, as in calming down. Make it that simple. Okay, it doesn't matter what the method is. Their method works for them. And we get done with the meditation, and she goes, what did I see? An orange truck. I'm going, I don't know. Well, later that day, swear to God, we're in the car and we're filling up a gas station. Guess what pulls up behind us? A big orange truck. Now, we don't see orange trucks where we're living right now. Hmm. Whoa, okay. Now, I've had experiences like that many times. In fact, that's what started me down my path. I had experiences I couldn't explain. I went, who's got the science on this? Well, nobody does. The East has some science on it, but it's not well understood by the West. Examples might be the Tangier treatises that the Columbia University is one you could translate. Bob Thurman started the whole process of the Dalai Lama, stuff like that. There's all kinds of stuff learned like that. So I know a fair bit about some of the ancient canons, C-A-N-O-N-S, the ancient holy books, but not a lot. I'm not I'm not a scholar, man. I don't want to be a scholar. I want to be somebody that does something and, you know, makes things happen. Yeah, your approach is more pragmatic. You're a hands-on type of guy. You like to interact with people. Um, you, you, you're just a very kind of, um, engaging guy. I'd say you're engaging, um, perhaps somewhat quirky, maybe. <laughs> um, okay. in a good way, in a good way. I mean, it's like you, you, I kind of don't really have a filter. Maybe I don't know. You're not perhaps, um, pandering to a format. You, you kind of seem to just go with the flow. I mean, a little bit like Cliff, Cliff Saunders again, um, you what I find is that over time, if I 
try and be something I'm not for somebody else, that will absolutely fail me and them. So why yeah. do it? And a lot of times it's really scary. You're going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to think about this. Yeah. But you're going to ask them anyway. Okay. So one of my favorite questions that I, I've only heard one other person do this. Okay. He's a broadcaster that I developed about four years ago. I went, I got to get to know these people really fast. What can I do with that? And then I said, well, what if I asked them, can you please share with me one or two of your most scientifically inexplicable experiences? Meaning if you, you were sitting with a scientist, they'd say, no, it can't happen because there's no theory for it. And you'd say, well, it did. And that really cuts the chance about what people were on to share. So to draw another um, example, I know a very, very smart guy. He's actually smarter than I am. He went to MIT. He's really, really good at that sort of study. He is no shit a rocket scientist. He's a good friend. And we used to go to concerts together. And my son's mother and his wife were college roommates. That's how we knew each other. So we're going to crush concerts together, as in Neil Peart, Getty Lee, and, and uh, Alex Lifeson, right? We're driving down the road, and we talk about physics because he knows a lot about that. <clears throat> and we eventually stood in a parking lot before a concert, a band that he knew, a great band called Dada, D-A-D-A. I didn't know about them. Yeah. And we swapped books. I said, will you please read Amit Goswami's God is Not Dead? He goes, okay, I'll try it. And he hands me one of, one of um, God, what's the guy's name? I'm blank. Give me a second here. Daniel Dennett's books. Now, I've had a friend, two friends actually, debated with Daniel Dennett, and they, they won hands down because Dennett just didn't know what he was doing. And that was really wasn't broadcast, but it was done in a broadcast studio, ABC executives, right? <clears throat> and Chris and I are talking. My friend's name is Chris. I haven't talked to him in a long time. And I can tell by his body language, because I can sense energy, he's got a problem with Amit Kosomi's book. And he goes, I think he's a quack. Okay. Mm. I get I feel that. Okay. I don't feel that because I met the guy and I've talked to him. I know him, right? He's a brilliant guy. And then, I, and then he said to me, what do you think about Dennett's book? I said, I was two minutes into the book. I had to stop reading. I get sick to my stomach. The guy's unwilling to be scientific. He's unwilling to be uh, empirical. Well, how can I listen to that? Because every, everything he does after that is going to be wrong. It's going to be, well, you know, it's going to be like Lord Kelvin said. Think, I think he said, maybe you can straighten me out in this, Joe. He said, well, we've learned everything about science we need to know. Well, no, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't happen that way. So Chris and I agree to disagree. It doesn't make him a bad dad. He's a great dad. Doesn't make a bad husband. He's a great husband. Brilliant engineer, too. But mm-hmm. we couldn't agree about those things. So anything I'd share with him, he'd say, well, show me somebody that, that, that says it's true that's not me. Well, what about me? But that's what it came down to. So, and I'm not the first one to be saying this. You can look at every tradition there is, and the smart guys will say, yeah. We found that out too. And in fact, we were talking earlier, I'm thinking of these guys that, that invent things. I don't know what the story about Jonas Salk is, but I know it, the idea for his information came to him in a dream. The guy that is said to have recognized the benzene ring dreamed of an Ouroboros, a snake in his tail. Oh, Whoa, wow. who does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I know a lot of anecdotes about things like that because I'm one of those guys. When I see yeah. things coming, I go, wait, how is that even possible? Wait, Hold what on, do Mike. I do with that? Hold on, Mike. Well, we have to take a short break. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot. If your country is being invaded, uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but 
you know, if the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars, and most of them just uh, are. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Uh, We're talking to Mike Austin, uh, producer, host, producer, and founder of Casual Saints. Casual Saints is a streamed and podcasted variety talk magazine. Um, you've got a lot of listeners, Mike. You've got 137 countries, well over 2 million a month, you know, you, you, you syndicated. Um, we're talking about uh, crossing over, making the link up between spirituality, religion, art, everything. You're, you're like me, and the reason why I was keen to interview you is because my my background actually was, was art. I started out becoming, I wanted to be an artist, and then I wanted to re- realise I was very analytical. Um, and I think the two do go together. I, I, I don't think you should compartmentalize. And I, and I think that something that uh, I picked up on Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo was one of those archetypal people who cross over you know, the scientific brain and the artistic brain. They thrive on each other. They kind of inspire each other. It's a wonderful way of uh, in, you know, in, infusing the mind. And during the break, we've talked about what came, what comes first. You know, what the need to do things or just the desire. Um, why are we here? You know, what motivates us? I don't know, Mike. I mean, I uh, living living life with a purpose. You know, we're not given a purpose. We find it, don't we? We find it in ourselves. And you know, what what's your take on that? <laughs> the purpose <laughs> comes from within. It always comes from within. And when you let the purpose come from without, you got problems. Mm. Then you're living somebody else's life. Now, I've done that. I've made mistakes, made plenty of mistakes. And and some of them hurt me and some of them didn't. But I learned from them. You know, eventually when I stopped getting stubborn, I go, well, I shouldn't be doing that anymore because <laughs> mm. <laughs> it hurt me. But yeah. I'm not the first person to say this. And I imagine a lot of smart scientists would, would you know, agree with that. But many... Famous spiritual people would say the same thing. What comes from inside you? Who are you depending on for your decisions? Are you syncretistic? Do you do you get information from other sources, or do you just rely upon uh, uh, just one source? Okay, you have mm. to rely upon different sources because 
These days, everything's co-opted. Everything's co-opted. And you have to be really careful who you listen to. And the most famous people are generally co-opted. It's like they sold out. Okay. Yeah. They know it. When you're paying attention, you'll you'll find out eventually. And sometimes it takes decades to figure that out. Meaning mm-hmm. you didn't know that until later. And I'm not going to talk about the usual suspects because why right now? Everybody knows who they are. Okay. You, you have to trust your own intuition. Yeah. You have to develop your own intuitional practice and learn how to trust yourself. Mm. Great quote. I have a very visual memory. It's mm. an empty classroom in junior college. I like to hang out in the classroom and nobody's there because it's quiet and it helped me think, mm. right? Yeah. And there's inspirational posters on the wall. And there's, you know, it's maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. Poster from Goethe. Once you trust yourself, you'll know how to live. Whoa. That's deep. Stuff like that sticks with me. And yeah. I carry those things for a long time. And that was a good school for me, but it's not the only thing I learned there, right? That's back when I was thinking about becoming a biologist. I wanted to be a field biologist, but no, I changed my mind. Yeah. So and your own intuitional practice, generally most people find they have to do meditation to calm down, including me. Yeah. When I look at pictures of myself, video of myself in my 20s, I'm really ampy. Gonna- Actually, I wanted to ask Mike about his uh, casual saint's name and where he okay. got uh, where he got that name from. There you are again. Yeah, what is casual saint? What do you mean by that casual? Oh, Mike, man, we got to do something about that mute button, Mike. Um, anyway, John, what do you know about the casual saint's uh, name? What does that refer to exactly? I think it's kind of flippant. I think it's kind of um, anti-orthodox, kind of um, freestyling. Um, my my sense is that. Uh, like the whole idea for the chat, you know, you, you you're more in tune with, with when you with you're not as, you, as Mike says, you're not trying to work to a script. You know, those people that we work with all the time that have a, an agenda, and I don't like to have a hard a, a hard script agenda because you don't learn as much, do you? It's almost like you predetermine the outcome. If you predetermine the outcome, I, how do you really learn if you already kind of frame everything? It's like. Um, the old dichotomy. I, I don't forget. I think one of the. I, don't, I forget who said it, but uh, um, lot, we're living in a world of unknown, known unknowns. It might have been Dick Cheney. I think Dick Cheney comes to mind. The 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 idea that we deal with known unknowns, unknown knowns, and no no. I mean, it's like <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you talk yourself into a circle using this kind of uh, double thing. You're trying to second guess yourself. Mike the West. Nice. The West is good at that. Yeah, we're very good at So, it. I didn't like Mr. Cheney. I still don't. Okay. No. There are people I just don't take an instant disliking to. Yeah. One needs to develop one's own practice of inner looking. Simple. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever it is. Call it psychophysical self-regulation. Call it whatever you want. You need to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when you've got that, you can go somewhere with your own mind. It's all about having your own mind. So the name Casual Saints came from five years of percolation. After I did my first show, Blue Planet Almanac, I'm going, I'm done with that. Nobody cares about the environment. That's what I felt like. And my, my station owner said, no, they do. And I well, I don't feel that way. What would I do that I can do every day and wake up to be happy about? And what could I do to inspire people? Who do I find who does examples on their own every day? And you might not know about them, or you might. You know, it doesn't matter if they're a football player. It doesn't matter if they're a famous scientist. 
who do I find that can do those things and mm-hmm. and talk about their own life and how they affect other people? That's where it came from. And it was a mix and match column. I put words in one column, words in another. I just started connecting them, cross connections. That was all. So, well, I well you know, I think, sorry, I just wanted to um, chip in and just, just say it's inspiring when you uh, talk to somebody new. And I think it's the newness, it, the somebody that you meet and they, they can uplift you. And it's usually unexpected. Um, and I think the problem, like Joe says, uh, he and I were both on the Myers-Briggs INTJ, we're very introverted, um, we work on our, our own a lot, and uh, we don't get the full balance, and I think that that's the problem. And I think people who are more extrovert, they tend to have more energy because they t- can embrace a new like energy, a new life force with somebody. You, you feel that uh, they they charge you up a bit, you know. I, I meet people a lot now, and I, I didn't used to meet as many people. And uh, I, I find that um, I can be challenged. I can feel uncomfortable, but I come away thinking that was useful. And I think, um, and I, I'm afraid to do it too much. But I know when I do it, I'm a better person for it. Uh, do you feel that, Mike? Do you, do you feel that you interview people to challenge yourself, to go, you know, near your boundaries, maybe push your boundaries? I will work with people to challenge myself. Yeah. I interview them because I know I'm going to have fun with a capital K. This looks like yeah. it's going to add up just fine. Yeah. Otherwise, why would I talk to them? Yeah. But I, I get to know them first and see if there's any hidden things that I want to find out about and see if we're on the same page. Yeah. And, and otherwise, I won't talk to them. So I grew up as a more outward person. Yeah. My parents were co-founders of a sister city committee, and there's lots of co-founders, right, with the city in Mexico in my hometown. My mother was a nonprofit program director. My dad was a bookkeeper, the personality like a salesman. Yeah. So it was easy for me to model them, but over time I had developed my own style with that. So when I say all that, I will still talk to people if there's there might be something in it for me, but sometimes I won't. And I'll, I'll, I'll do an evidence procedure. What do I feel about them when I'm talking to them? Russell's a good example. Okay. First time I introduced him, he's very tall, a very curious looking character. His dad was uh, an agent with a big publishing house. Okay. His dad broke the book, The Godfather. So Russell's seen some people around. So the friend introduces me and he goes, Russell Targ, he was, you know, co-founder of the Stargate uh, program and I went military no don't want to talk to him that was about me I found out later he's a really good guy of course he makes mistakes like everybody else but he's a really good guy and his heart's in the right place so that wasn't about him so I had to adjust what I was doing to to adapt to that and again he's the guy that said you know I'm a psychic spy found God so people don't say that unless they have a real deep experience of that so with me I, I to re- reflect what you're saying for about oh 20 years call it 25 even I went underground with my experience I'm not going to talk to anybody about it because why would they want to hear it there's no no common ground to talk about because we're, we're looking at a reductionist paradigm you know that couldn't happen Mike it didn't happen but what eventually happened was I learned ways to manage my own experience to talk about them and use languaging that people might accept. And that was about me. That was like, how do I talk to them about that? 
How do I explain what I've seen happening? I'll give you a good example. My son's mom, my ex, were talking about the idea she's going to buy a business one day. It's an animation art publishing business. I'm in on this in the backside. I'm basically a silent partner. And I said to her, the guy that's selling you that business is going to go down hard in about two years, and you don't want to be there. It's going to be messy. I didn't know why I was going to say that. I had no idea. I was right. Okay? How do you justify those experiences? Well, you don't have to justify them. You have to live them. And she worked her way through that and eventually solved the problem, but it was messy for a while. And, and there was a lot of money involved, but she triumphed, and she did it in a polite way. She did a compassionate way. So... I find that personality traits can be overcome over time. Sometimes you can do it the wrong way. I'll give you another example from me. I can be a speed freak, as in I love speed, okay? But I kept that hidden for a long time. When I was a kid, first time I did it, I'm maybe 19. I rode down a bicycle, rode a bicycle down a hill at about 50 miles an hour. The brakes were so hot, wheels so hot, I couldn't touch them. I went, whoa, I love that thing. Then I rode motorcycles for a while. And then I found in my late 30s that I loved car speed. I went out and bought a fast car. Began taking it to the racetrack. Oh, my God. That was an experience in consciousness. It was, what happened there? Why did I have that experience? And, And why did I see what I saw? So I forced myself not so gently into experiences of consciousness on the racetrack. What happened there? Why did I see that coming? How did I know what to do? I've got a story about that that is probably instructive. Now, that hurt my body when I did. Okay, I overdid it. I did it too much. And my wife said to me, you're breaking your body down. I went, oh, I didn't want to hear that. She was right. Sold the car. Okay. I was given demonstration rides in that car. So, the personality quirks were such that I was pushy, but that's because of what I learned when I was a kid. Now I can unlearn that. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, I'm following. Okay. So it's simpler than it sounds, but um, when you precognize something coming on the track, you're going to go, what happened there? How did I know that? Or you have pre-sentiment about that. So it's all about the experience. And there's studies, there's lots of studies done about this that, that, that friends have done and other friends have friends have done. So the pre-sentiment experience that Dean experiments that Dean Radin did, for example, stuff like that. So <clears throat> And you gotta be aware I, that things like this can happen. You gotta be, you know, sort of paying attention to your life to watch these things manifest. I think a lot of people just aren't paying it that close of attention, perhaps. And, and that's why they aren't because they think it can't happen. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They, they go, well, if you think that, you're not going to see it. It's that simple. It's what you, you think, see is what you get. Yeah. Do, do you think the key here is, is when, as you get older, the key is to learn more about yourself, you, to learn, self-learning. It's about learning about your limits, learning about uh, who you are and where you fit in in the world. And um, I think, I, I'm just guessing, I might be wrong, but I, I feel that the older I get, the more I'm learning about myself and my limits and and where i fit in and the idea of being more spiritual being spiritual because that that could be an important thing to embrace um again it's intuitive i can't rationalize it you're not supposed to 
you're especially yeah. like, okay, well, there's that thing. What is it? You yeah. sit there, you know, how do you describe what the moon is? If you didn't know, if you weren't a scientist, how do you describe that, that, that blowing ball in the sky? How do you describe the sun rising every day? Okay. And these are questions that humanity has answered for a long, 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 long time, longer than the mainstream would think. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you start looking into it. So I agree with that. You, you have to get to know yourself, but it takes time. But I figure that's the deal. You come here, you hop into the meat suit, you get stupid. Okay. <laughs> then you smarten up over time. Yeah. Okay. Hold that thought, Mike. We're going to take another break. This is TNT Radio. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. William F. Buckley, who was a great conservative and a great Catholic philosopher, once said a lot of the problems with the church came from the popes because there were a lot of popes that had one foot in the city of man, one foot in the city of God. There's no greater example than the current pope. It is absolutely astounding that he's saying what he's saying about climate. It's the height of ignorance. Climate is not out of control. And as a matter of fact, if it was out of control, there's nothing man can do about it. This whole thing is a scam. And what is fascinating about the situation is he doesn't even seem to look at who he's in bed with with this. A lot of these people are sectarians. They don't have any appeal to a higher authority except for themselves as a higher authority. And they're out to play God. And he's actually putting himself in bed with that. And you want to know something? If you want to be the spiritual leader of 1.2 billion Catholics, you want to get involved in politics, and that's exactly what climate is, politics. You've got one foot in the city of man, one foot in the city of God. Not only does it rip you up, but it's going to rip your followers up. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here, home, because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets. This Christmas, thousands more people across the UK will be facing homelessness. We urgently need your donation. Search Crisis at Christmas or scan the QR code to give £29.73 now. Using science to debunk myths. From the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, Mike, uh, Casual Saints, Austin, you, we were talking at, during the break about the the fact that you're a reformed environmentalist. You know, we, we have a little joke about it. You know, what happened there with you, with the environmental movement? Well, I studied environmental studies when I was a kid. I was actually a poster boy for UC Riverside. They liked my application so much. Wow. Okay, and while I was there, I had a change of heart. And so it's in my blood. And a lot about natural history. I've held live animals, including live rattlesnake. I've been around. Okay. Hmm. And 
what happened over time was I watched the narrative and I watched what people were doing. I went, they're lying. They're lying. Show me the data. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's got to be willing to look at the data. If you aren't willing to look at it, you're going to find anything. So what I found over time was, for example, I'll bring the, the, the cat, hidden cat out of the bag. I looked at the information being presented to me about climate, climate science. I went, that's been completely co-opted. They're a lion. Why would they lie? Started looking at the criteria by which they decided things. Now, I'm a very much a heart-centered guy. I decide based on intuition and heart. When people say they decide on intellect, that's true, but first comes their heart, but they don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. So I went, well, let me look into that. So this is only over the past mm, three or four or five years, okay? But at the same time, I know a lot of very useful facts that, that I get from other sources. You know, what if you put something in your bloodstream? How does it affect you? And and when that affects you, how does it affect the environment? Now, when I say environment, I mean the whole earth. I mean the cosmos. That's my context, okay? So in effect, I changed my cosmology because of my perceptions. And I had to do that. So with, with what's going on right now, everything's going on right now, mm. all I can do is stand back and do what you think is appropriate in the ways you think it's appropriate and have your own way to affect your own systems and be part of a system in that way. So what I do is I found things. One of the things I'm starting up now is a new fund. I found a guy to help me launch it. He's way smarter than I am about it, which allows people to invest in what amounts to a sovereign economy. How do you do that? Who do you trust? Do you, do you have decentralized things? Do you have centralized things? What's your thesis to do that? Okay. And I had the original idea, but he's the one making it work. Okay. And he's the one building. He's done that before. And I met him in 2017. So he is actually not an environmentalist. He left the U.S. because he saw what was happening. His wife and him both left. They took their kids and went to Europe. Okay. Mm. So... Hmm. Environmentalism. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. I'm 17 with my best friend at the time, still very close friends, Tim. Tim founded Hard Shell Labs, a conservation tech company. He called me up one day and said, so look, I've got this idea about founding a company to to scare uh, ravens away from tortoises with lasers. That's brilliant. I haven't thought about that, right? This is the same guy we're 17, we're out in the California desert, and he's learning to be a herpetologist. He's still going to school. And I watched him crouch down three and a half feet in front of a live wild sidewinder rattlesnake. I'm going, this is kind of nervy, right? Now, he knows, knows a lot about snakes, and they can only strike, sidewinders can only strike about two and a half times their length. He's out of that range. Now, I've got that mental image in my mind. Hmm. I'm going, Whoa. Now, I held the snake too. We, I held it for him temporarily. Well, you know, he got ready to do the photograph of it. I'm the guy that goes out and looks for experiences like that. What can I do that's going to take me out of my comfort zone and get to know unusual experiences and unusual beings? The snake's an unusual being. Now, where we live right now, there's plenty of those around here. We're coming home from the, the <clears throat> pool one night. There's a sidewinder going, on the, going down the dirt road. Like, Whoa. And my, my sweetheart wants to look at it. Whoa, this girl's got courage. So 
I feel like I'm meandering too much with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to give people something to do that, that's going to leave them with what can I do? This guy suggests after right. I hear him. That's what I want to leave him to do with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so environmentalism is important, but your connection with the earth is more important. That's where you want to go with that. That's what I want to say. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, about ground, grounding. We've talked about gra- grounding, grounding yeah, with, with ground. yeah, with previous yeah. guests. And you know, I'm. I mean, there's a great documentary about it. There's a great uh, little bit of literature out there about it. I mean, it makes sense. Are you familiar with that concept, grounding? I'm well acquainted with it. Um, I like the idea. There are many things you can do, which <clears throat> can help that. At the same time, it's not the only thing you can do. Mm. Okay, this would take a lot of talk about things that I've learned over the time that would you would need to do on your own. Look into the fact is we're energetic beings. We're bioenergetic organisms. Okay, we survive our death. Okay, that's a whole long thing. But mm. my understanding of this is based in we're energetic and we have currents flowing through us. All all the time. We don't understand those currents. So I've done grounding myself. It helped. Uh, when we were living in the redwoods, we had a spot right out the right outside the house. I'd go and put my feet on the dirt. Just mm. sit on the dirt. And it's calmed me down. These are ancient things. This is not new to us as a species. We just forgot about them. So sure, why not grounding? Um, there's all kinds of things you can do to connect yourself to it. I would say that that was one of Tim's original goals, and it's still mine. Connect yourself with the planet and the cosmos. Do that. I, I can think of so many examples of this. <clears throat> there was a planetary society meeting a long time ago. Call it 28, 29 years ago. I don't remember the exact date right now. I'm watching Carl Sagan speak. Now, I'm very intuitive. I know what people are thinking. I can feel it. Okay. But I can't put words in their mouth. He's standing on the podium. He's talking about SETI. I'm going, whoa, where's he going with this? Now, you know, you got everybody knows he did the movie Contact and he changed his mind about the, the universe in some respects. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about SETI. He goes, there was this time we got a signal of what was it, 90 seconds? I forget how long it was, seven minutes. You can see his demeanor change. And he wanted to say, I think there's life out there in the universe, but he wouldn't say it. He wouldn't say it because he couldn't prove it, right? I'm thinking, dude, just say it because it helps people understand who they are. A guy like you who can do that and be authentic, yeah, that's the most important thing. Now, I'm there with a, with a card-carrying skeptic, a good friend, a card-carrying skeptic. We're not friends anymore, right? <clears throat> so that was my a little microcosmic connection to the cosmos for me. Cosmos for me, huge respect for the guy, but I don't know his work. So that's back to what you say, John, about you want to be cautious about how you connect with people. Mm. So there are bits of me that, that go, I want to hang out and be a screen monk. Well, that doesn't feel like the right thing to do for me right now. Okay, there are times when I do that and times when I don't. There's a different phase in my life, cosmological phase, you can call it that where I'm doing different stuff. And you can talk to advisors about that. My advisors, that, yeah, that shows up in your, your background, right? You can do that. So it's okay to talk to people who are deniers about anything, but if you can't do something with them, then why are you talking to them? Why would you mm. go there? Mm. What I was going to do is going to ask you, uh, 
to give us an example of what you would call good and bad environmentalism. I mean, I, I think Joe just gave a good example of what we would agree would be good environmentalism, which is for your own health. You know, the idea that being part of nature is good environmentalism to reconnect. Um, but just to flip the coin, what would, what do you think is the most pernicious thing about the environmental movement that you've, you've seen yourself? Lately, the co-opting of ESG. Hmm. ESG is a fraud. There it is. Do you want to elaborate you look a bit at, more? Well, ESG, you look at who... Environment, social governance. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. You look at who created that phrase, and you look at their motivations, you look where the money's going, you go, no, they're lying. Hmm. Okay? They're lying. What's and, the analog for EDI in corporate control, too, and, and education? Hmm. Would you... Explain for the audience and me what you mean by EDI. Oh, you need the equity, diversion, inclusion thing. You know, it's these top-down oh, okay. controls, control structures that are really just destroying uh, all hope for proper education and proper science being conducted ever again. Yeah, no. And with, and with, with ESG, back, this same thing, proper environmental science will never be done again because it now has to be done through environmental social Well, justice. if you use ESG as the model, that's true. You can't say yeah. the statement proper environmental science never done again because that's that throws in the towel, dude. You can't make mm -hmm. those predictions. Well, I mean, under under ESG, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Yes, yes, ESG, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Under, under, so, yeah. and I've looked at this for a long time. Like, wh what do you do about this? In fact, one of my private funds invested in a company that was ESG based. Well, that was a mistake. Okay, the company failed. It's good that it failed. Look at that. The, the company we invested in failed. Oh, well, too bad. Next. Okay. I learned something from that. We all learned something from that. But our hearts were in the right place about what we wanted to do with that. We want to have people be happier, have more food, mm. more clean air, and more water. It's a very subtle system. So when you look at the power structures, they're not really power structures. They're, they're force structures. Power and force are two different concepts. So the forces that want you to believe in ESG are a lion. I'm sorry, kids. There it is. Mm. Okay. And mm. you have to do your own research about that to find out your own, your own solutions about that. So mm. that's from, that's from a tree hugger. I'm a tree hugger, man. I'll walk out in the woods and hug a tree, but mm. I'm also very empirical. Mm. You said it yourself, John, about me. I'd like, what can you show me about this? Mm. So <clears throat> I want people to get along. I want them to, uh, be respectful of each other. I want them to be happy about their lives. That includes me. Mm. And the only way to do that is be respectful and look at the data and to, to adjust what's real based on what you see. And inside mm. an ESG framework, you're never going to do that. Not going to happen. No. And, and it's subtle and you have to be careful about this. You guys are courageous in that you go out looking for things that you want to change, but you're all about facts. And facts are becoming more popular, but still people are afraid of them. Yeah. We left California because the facts were twisted in California. They're crazy. They're nuts. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got to do your own research. And I think the, the listeners in this show and this network of yours are doing the same thing. Wait, mm -hmm. what they said was, well, is it true or not? Is environmentalism true or not? So for the record, <clears throat> I used to be a fan of Dave Foreman. Okay. I liked where his heart was. Dave Foreman is an earth firster. I'm going, just take things in your own hands and go out and do it. Well, he recanted. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it was a good idea, but he did. You have to treat the planet like, like it's living. You have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to run into problems down the road. Mm-hmm. And I think of, of James Lovelock and Lynn Margulis' study about mm-hmm. the hypo- Gaia hypothesis. The Gaia they hypothesis, said, yeah. Yeah. They said, we're stopping short of telling you the Earth is, con- is sentient. I would go many steps further and say, well, the Earth is sentient, but you guys don't have to agree with that. Yeah. But it still has lots of positive and negative feedback loops. And the dust from the Bodeli Depression in Africa, in Chad, flies right across the Atlantic Ocean to the Amazon, feeds the Amazon rainforest. Mm. Well, that's environmentalism right there. What, what are you mm. going to do about that? You're going to stop the dust? You're going to stop you know, destroying the forest? What are you going to do? So mm. uh, those are topics we could talk for, for years about. I really, you know, they're kind of, I've got a friend, Marcus Erickson, who does, used to do plastic. <clears throat> he says, I'm done with plastic. Okay. The plastic industry has been co-opted. Mm. He was one of the guys credited with bringing attention to the five jars project and the, the was it Western Pacific garbage patch. Okay. Mm. So I know lots of people like that. And environmentalism is a, is a daily practice. Okay. Doesn't mean you don't drive a car. No, that's baloney. Okay. You know, it's well known that I used to race. I'd like to race again. Oh my God. What a rush. Okay. Mm. But, but, I don't do it all the time, and I know people that, that are okay with doing it. So, make your own decisions about it. I'm sorry, that's that's you know what you need to do with that. And, and you guys already know that. This is the people listening yeah, yeah. to the Yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, about about thirty seconds left. We've run out of time. Just give us thirty seconds now. Just summarize your work. Where where can we find you? Where where do we go to look for your work? Go to thesoulwriter.net, T-H-E-S-O-U-L-R-I-D-E-R.net, thesoulwriter.net. I've got lots of stuff there. The Casual Saints has a portal website. I don't advertise that much because I don't need to. Uh, You can communicate with me via thesoulwriter.net. I've done a lot of stuff. I've done archaeology. I've done things in a variety of fields because I wanted to, because there's something I contribute to that. And we haven't talked about some of the projects that I've done. Um, um, 30 seconds. Be happy. Find something to be happy about. There. It's simple. Everybody can do that. Make it a practice. I knew we'd have a I knew we'd have a great conversation with you, and it's very free flowing. It's a pleasure talking to you, Mike Austin, Casual Saints. Thank you for being on Sky Dragon Slaying. This is TNT Radio. <laughs>